Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody. And once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. We've got a great show for you this evening. As mentioned in the intro, uh, we're going to be starting things off here with a great discussion on Coach's Corner tonight. I'll introduce the guys here in just a minute. And then a little bit later on, my special guest of the evening is uh, uh, returning back to the show. He hasn't been on for a few years, but um, uh, looking forward to, to catching up and seeing what's happening in his world. Of course, I'm talking about Dave Bisbee. He's uh, the general manager and director of golf at the Seven Canyons Golf Club in Sedona, Arizona. He'll be joining me on the second half. So I'm looking forward to catching up with him. Uh, but uh, I'm really looking forward to tonight's discussion here on Coach's Corner. So let's get right to it. Let me introduce the guys. First up, of course, is uh, Clint Wright. He's a 30-plus year member of the PGA and one of the partners at TGM Golf. And TGM, of course, uh, is a big proponent of what they refer to as the R3 approach. Uh, and I consider Clint to be uh, certainly among one of the best teaching professionals who's uh, covered the short game and a longtime favorite here on Coach's Corner. Uh, also on the panel tonight is uh, Jim Endicott. Uh, he's been teaching this great game for 38 years. Uh, former Golf Digest School's general manager and a seven-time PGA Award winning, uh, winner, including uh, the 2022 uh, North Florida PGA Sections Patriot Award and two uh, North Florida PGA Youth Player Development Awards. And currently, he is the director of instruction at the Royal St. Cloud Golf Links in Florida. So, guys, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thank Glad you, Ted. Nice to be with you. Yes, sir. Nice All right. to be with you, Clint. Yeah, first time for uh, for both of you guys on uh, together, and uh, I'm looking forward to to the discussion. We were just talking just briefly off air uh, about the weather going through, and uh, it looks like for the most part uh, here in North Florida, it's pretty much past us. I think, uh, Jim, you were saying a few moments ago that uh, you're going to get a little bit uh, rougher weather um, a little bit later on uh, tonight. And, Clint, I'm not sure what's happening in your neck of the woods up in the Carolinas right now, but... Uh, I imagine you're getting uh, some uh, nasty weather as well. And your mom, as you mentioned, is in my neck of the woods and yeah. uh, uh, sort of brushes it off her shoulder like no big deal, which is true. We've hit uh, everything from tornadoes to hurricanes uh, here in the panhandle up in northwest uh, Florida. So, um, But uh, fortunately, it looks like we're going to have a good evening. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about tonight's discussion. Uh, we're going to talk about some key factors that golfers need to achieve overall improvement. So many times golfers get confused when trying to improve the different parts of their game. So I put together some examples of what you should know to best help you become an all-around better player. And I'm going to start with uh, you, Jim, this time. 
on this particular first uh, area, and then uh, Clint, uh, I'll bring you in on the next one. Um, we're we're going to talk about the driver for a second, or, or more importantly, uh, your your tee shot. Uh, I want you to just talk about some of the proper setup keys needed for successful tee shots, and it's not just a matter of uh, getting everything in the right positions, but um, maybe touch on a little bit as well the importance of uh, initial tee shots, um, getting yourself set up and putting yourself in position, but the driver, because a lot of golfers struggle with their driver. Um, you know, they all want more distance and so forth, but there's other factors that are in play here. So talk a little bit about what they should be doing to make sure they're setting up properly to hit that big stick. Well, uh, when I, when I think about the tee shot, and I'll go on that topic first and come back to the driver itself, uh, when I think of the tee shot, the, the design of the tee shot and what we're trying to achieve with it is to hit the ball as far down the fairway as we can. And the key there is down the fairway. and We need to make sure that we have a club in our hand that we're able to put it into the fairway. And that may or may not be the driver. And depending on our skill set, we can determine what club is the best one for that. And I believe you have to look uh, hard at where do we want that golf ball to be. Do we want it to be down the left side of that fairway, right side of that fairway, depending on trouble. If there's out of bounds to the right, well, we would likely want to set ourselves up on the right side of that tee box and if we're on the right side of that tee box aimed dead down the middle of the fairway, we've actually set ourselves up on an angle slightly towards the left or away from that out of bounds. So I think the positioning of ourselves on the tee box is very important. Uh, but again, it comes back to what is our best club? Uh, a lot of times people are looking for extra distance and they're taking a driver and and, and cranking down the ball off to uh, seven or eight degrees, well, uh, that may not be the best thing for them. They may need to get something more in a 12, 13-degree loft to get that ball airborne and keep it a little bit straighter because the more that loft is, the more loft that they have there, the less the uh, spin axis affects it. It doesn't curve as much offline. So I think it comes down to deciding what is the best, a uh, piece of equipment that I can hit it in the fairway and a fair distance down the fairway. Yeah, well said. Um, and, and just to touch on the driver a little bit, and again, you're exactly right. It depends on the ability of the player, and it depends on the circumstances, what's the best shot. Um, but what have you seen and what do you notice when you're watching a lot of the amateurs, both through on the lesson tee and also maybe just as you're observing around on, on the range, what are some of the common faults, I guess, would be the best way to put it, you see with, with how they're setting up with the driver or other key areas that they're just not doing right or they don't understand? I mean, it's, it's you know, a club that they're looking to, to utilize and get as much distance as you said, but there are a lot of things. What are some of the common faults that you see when you're watching somebody hitting their driver? One, one common fault I see uh, positioning of the golf ball. We hear so much discussion that, well, the driver should be played more forward so that they hit upwards on the golf ball. And what ends up happening is that golf ball gets positioned out somewhere in the neighborhood of their lead foot 
uh, and even out beyond the lead foot. And when that occurs, those shoulders get set to the left of their target. And in doing that, uh, and when I say left of the target, that would be for a right-handed golfer. Uh, right. They've they've blocked themselves to be able to see and view the inside in the backswing, and they are not able to turn or rotate as much in the backswing. And so what ends up happening is that club climbs up into the air, and with that ball position well forward and the shoulders bending left by the time they get to the golf ball, uh, that club is actually moving downward and it's moving to the left, and it, it would end up, uh, adding to the chance of that club face being open and causing more of a slice. Uh, and so in their effort to swing up on it, as we hear so much, they've actually caused multiple problems in that setup. They'd be better served to look at setting the golf club down with the proper loft on the golf club. And if you look closely at the driver, the bottom edge of that driver is actually in front of the shaft of the golf club. And that bottom edge is what we're aiming. And if we aim that club with the correct loft and we position that handle maybe an inch or two to the uh, front of their uh, belly button and the club face is slightly in front of the club shaft, the ball is actually forward. But it would only be forward within the feet, not out beyond it. And so they would be able to get their shoulders set square by doing it that way. So I like to aim the club and then stand ourselves to the golf club versus trying to position the ball in a certain location between their feet. Yeah, I, I think there is, and we're going to talk about ball position a little bit here in a, in a second, but you, you're, you're um, you know, really touching on an area um, that I think is important for, for a lot of amateur golfers. You know, we see, I, I see all the time on the range where, they're misunderstanding really what's being said in getting that ball position for your driver up forward, uh, you know, towards your front foot. And there is a certain element of truth to that, but I think, you know, you often see players where, you know, they've been so well, just keep it off the, the, and again, we're talking for right-handed golfers, you know, off your, your left foot and some have it off the heel. I've seen some even go as far as off the toes you know, that sort of thing. And the first thing that happens is their shoulders open. Something else I want to ask too, and get you just to, to talk about, and I know, again, there's, it can apply for a variety of types of shots, but the height of the ball as well, how we tee it up for a driver. I mean, we're dealing with most people now are playing uh, a driver with uh, 460 cc's, which is the size of the club head and mass. And you know, some of them are teeing it way up. Some of them are teeing it way down. What's a good ball height? Where should it be in relationship to the club head? And, Jim, I'm going to let you finish on that. And then, Clint, I'm going to go on to the next one with you. Well, the tee height, uh, a good rule of thumb to start a player with would be to tee the ball such that the equator of the golf ball would be at the top of the club head. So about half of the golf ball would be above the club head. Now, that's a rule of thumb of a starting point. But let's take the example that we had a player trying to learn how to rotate their body more. Their golf clubs climbing up and down in the golf swing and slamming into the ground. And so they're trying to learn to rotate their body in a correct posture. 
that player may very well want to practice by teeing the golf ball higher. So, by example, if I were to take and tee a golf ball up, uh, say, 10 inches above the ground, I certainly wouldn't want to mm-hmm. swing up and down to make contact with that. I'd want to be more around. So in a learning process, we could tee the ball a little higher to get them to turn more. If they needed to get the club to go up and down more, they might tee it uh, down lower. Now that also comes into what do we do when we're playing? So if I am one who has my golf club going around me more than I'd like, in playing the game, I may want to have the tee a little higher to accommodate that on the golf course different than learning to change your golf swing. And so a player that has a tendency to swing more down on it, on the golf course, they may want to have their tee teed a little bit lower uh, to accommodate that up and down to play the game and then go work on it and change it. So a rule of thumb would be about half the ball above the top of the club head to start with and then adjust according to your swing shape. Yeah, well said. Um, you know, we see so many different things. And, and again, you know, obviously when you don't have a specific example to work from, it, it's a little more challenging to, to get all the specifics. But you did a great job in, in sort of giving a general overview of, of what to expect. And I think it's important, and, and just to very quickly just go back to something you said earlier, is obviously you want to assess the whole. Um, driver may not be the best club selection, uh, but when it is, you want to make sure that you're setting up properly and you're getting the the best opportunity, creating the best scenario for you to be successful and getting that drive down the fairway, whichever side it is that you want it to be on, uh, or maybe even down the middle, depending on the circumstances. But you want to be able to set up as, as well as possible. Uh, and that, again, even if it's not a perfect shot, the more prepared you are uh, before you actually swing the, the driver, uh, the likelihood or better chances are that it is going to be a successful tee shot. So well said. Um, Clint, we're going to touch on iron play a little bit, and I'm going to stick on, okay. uh, when I say longer irons, uh, I want to stay away from things like wedges for, for just a few minutes because we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Okay. Um, and I know that's a good area for you to, to do with, but I just want to talk about, you know, okay. five, six, seven irons. So obviously the, sure. the, the here with the irons, we're really wanting to set a premium on accuracy. Uh, driver, obviously you want to be accurate, but again, there's always a little room for error. But with the irons, more often than not, you're uh, attempting to, you know, go to the, hit it to the green and, uh, you know, maybe do a little pin seeking, what have you. Um, there are certain steps to becoming, I think, a better iron player. Give us an example of really what we're trying to accomplish with our irons and also where do many amateurs go wrong with their iron player? What is it typically that they're doing wrong? And if you were going to set somebody up for success hitting that five, six, say, seven iron, what are you going to do? What steps are you going to take to make sure to give them the best chance to make solid contact? Well, that's a really good, good question, and and it varies from person to person. But there's a, there are some generic problems. One that I see is that they they put a lot of premium on maybe getting too definite on where they want to go. I try to get people to recognize that. Just hit it on the green. Aim it at the middle of the green. And then, and then don't take your putter out of play. You can make putts. But just get it to the middle of the green. And I, it's really odd to me that you see a lot of these people with the range finders now that they know just how far away they are to the flag. Well, mm-hmm. 
if I'm 150 yards away from the flag, I'm not going to try to hit it 150 yards. Right. Yeah, I want the ball to hit short and get close to the hole, not fly to it and roll past it. Uh, so we see some of that a lot, but the, I think the biggest problem we find with, with amateurs is that they try to maximize out every shot they hit. Uh, you, you, you very rarely see a person that, that says, well, I can hit a 7 iron 165 yards. Well, maybe 1 out of 10 at right. best. They'll stand out there 165 yards away with a 7 iron in their hand, uphill against the wind, and think they're still going to hit it 165 yards. So, so the point being is I don't think they're quite realistic as far as the yardage that they hit clubs. So I get try to get my students in the past to think about, you know, that front, middle, back distances. Okay, I've got to carry the front of the green. I want to make sure I carry the front of the green. So what can my, let's say, 75 to 80% shot get me? You know, they have to be able to, to look at, am I uphill, downhill, understand some very elementary problems with the end of the wind, downwind, uh, uphill is going to be a little longer, obviously downhill is going to be a little shorter. Some of those things they have to calculate that, that a lot of folks are just don't take into consideration because they've stood out on the range with a hot golf ball and hit that 7 iron 165 yards, and they think, well, I'm just going to hit it from 165 yards. Right. And uh, they don't take into account a, a lot of the external factors that they're dealing with, plus the fact that, that they're just not going to hit it 165 yards that many times. So I always try to get the person aimed to the middle of the green, whatever that middle yardage is, and try to fly the ball to the front of the green, whatever that is. And therefore, I've got maybe a little shorter club in my hand. I'm not going to try to hit it as hard. So I'm probably going to be a little bit more accurate with, with that kind of swing versus swinging, you know, uh, off my tiptoes, trying to prove to my playing partners that I can really hit the seven iron that far. The objective is to get it on the green, right? right. The objective is not to hit. See, that's why I think we, for, for years now, and there's a lot of factors involved here, is that we've gotten into playing and teaching uh, hitting a golf ball. A lot of guys, they don't teach how to play. Uh, and mm. I think that that's, that's a, a fault of, of maybe the media that, te you know, you never see an ad on how to get it down in, in two from the edge of the green. You always see the ad about how far the driver goes. Um, right. So I think that we lose sight, and the amateurs lose sight from the beginning, that it's not just all about hitting it as far as you can. It's a matter of keeping score how many times you hit it and begin to manage realistically uh, what their time and effort will produce for them on the golf course. Right, and exactly. And it comes down, I mean, you're, you're playing a game. Um, you know, if you Correct. just want to hit golf balls and see how far you can hit, then just hang out at the range and, and have at it. But if you truly want to become a better player, right. you're exactly right. There, there becomes a strategy. Touch on a little bit, though, what's the difference between – how we're hitting our irons as opposed to, say, a driver or a fairway would. Obviously, there's a difference in the setup. How are we generally, and again, I know it's going to vary depending on uh, sure. the type of player and so forth, but just give it a general overview so that people understand what they need to be looking for and how they need to be setting up to the ball uh, for, for just a standard iron shot. You don't have to worry about up and down hill, sure. and that's a whole different kettle fish, but just general right, iron shot. Right. What are we looking to do? 
Well, I think that, you know that that most people would agree that the irons uh, should be played somewhere between you know the center of your 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 arc, wherever that is, uh, and a little bit and forward of that of the bottom of that arc. Okay, um, and so I think that's where we find that that we we think that that's where the club head's going to have the most speed. But most importantly, I think it it can vary from person to person because of height and size and and arm length and a lot of different personal factors involved there. So what I encourage people to do is simply stand like they're going to hit a shot down the fairway, clasp their hands together, and find out where that's the closest to the ground. It's all going to be a little different, okay? And so, therefore, that's the bottom of what I could envision as a swing arc. So I want to position the ball to where I'm going to catch the ball first, the divot's going to be in front, and I can compress the ball versus trying to scoop it. We see a lot of amateurs that actually want to flip the club or scoop the ball off the ground, and therefore they're not getting the maximum compression they could by trapping the ball a little bit better. But at the bottom of, the, of our swing arcs are all different, so they have to identify that. And, and there's ways you can do a drill by kind of sweeping the club back and forth to see where it touches the ground. And then that's where the ball should be positioned. Um, you know, there's the other theory that, that all the clubs should be played from the same place. You know, so there, there, there's a bit of discussion there. But I've always been one to try to teach someone to play the irons a little bit closer to the center your fairway woods a little bit more forward like you would the, the longer sticks. Um, but I generally like to see the irons played from just forward of center. Uh, and you also see a lot of times, I think, that the players tend to stand too far away from the ball to, to feel like they've got some extension. Uh, and, and that flattens the swing arc. So there again, it kind of puts the bottom of that arc in a different place. So I like to make sure that the, when the person sets up on their irons, and generally sets up generally, whether they're using a, a long driver or a three-wood or wedge or whatever, where their arms are hanging underneath their shoulders, not extended away from them. And that gives us a more consistent arm swing, which, again, therefore, is going to give you a more consistent bottom of the arc, and that will help you determine where the ball needs to be played. Yeah, and that's a, a great testament, I think, on ensuring – that you're working on your fundamentals, particularly for your setup, so that you're consistently set up the same way every time. Um, we'll see, you know, as an example you just mentioned, you'll see some players will set up and they'll be standing a little bit further away from the ball and uh, producing a much flatter uh, uh, swing arc than, than what they should be. And then the next time maybe they're a little closer to the ball and now they're swinging more upright. So there's not the consistency, and again, that changes where the bottom of your arc is going to, where your swing is going to be. So again, you know, if you're playing, as you suggest, the ball position, but your setup is changing every time, then that's going to dictate where the ball is really should be. So you want to make sure that you're working on a, on a consistent uh, setup so that it's the same place every single time. And obviously it varies depending right. on the clubs you're using, but, but essentially it's in the same spot. Um, very interesting. Great discussion. Um, Jim, I'm coming back to you, and now we're going to talk a little bit about, um, in a different respect, uh, ball position. You're certainly welcome to talk about um, with what we've talked about here, if you have uh, maybe a different thought on where the ball position should be. But I'm talking particularly here on how it affects the ball flight itself. So, you know, moving the ball a little further up, if we want to hit it higher, lower, what have you, 
give us a, a scenario, if you will, or maybe some some examples of if we want to move the ball position a little bit for various shots, what do we need to do and how is it going to affect the ball flight? Establish the ball position again based on the golf club. And the idea would be that when we aim our golf club, and let's just say we're going to hit a shot that is a normal trajectory golf shot with a six iron. Uh, we want to put that club down where the bottom edge is perpendicular to our target line, and we want it with the correct loss. So it's sold flat on the bottom of the golf club. And then from there, a good starting point would be to simply have the handle of the golf club point uh, maybe an inch or so towards their front of their body from their belly button. So it's just slightly forward in that scenario. Now that would position the golf ball about in the middle of the stance, as Clint was saying. Uh, now, if I wanted to hit that six iron lower in the air, I would think about what the golf club itself can do to hit it lower, and that would be less lost. So if I were going to make that six iron now with less lost, I might push the handle forward, uh, let's call it two inches forward, and then I would reposition my body so that the handle was pointed in the same location as it was for the normal trajectory. And you would find that that would move the ball position a little bit further back in their stance. So it would get us a descending blow, and it would get a little less loft on the golf club, which would flight the golf ball lower. Conversely, if I wanted to hit it a little higher, I could take that six iron and add a little loft to it, much like we might do in the bunker. And now that handle might be a little bit further back from the head, and now I stand where that is again positioned in the same location in my body, but because I have additional loft on the club, now the ball would be slightly forward in their stance, which would help to send the ball a little bit higher in trajectory. So I like to look at it from an aim of the club head based on the trajectory I want to achieve and then stand my body towards the handle in the same location on my body, and that'll change the ball position. What about in a case, and I, I want to, again, great answers. Uh, I want to touch on a little bit about different types of shots. Uh, you, you've talked about hitting it a little bit higher, obviously hitting a, a lower trajectory shot. What about if we want to put a little curvature on, on, on the shot? Let's say we want to have a little bit of a fade or even a draw. Um, are we changing the ball position in that case as well, or is it more along the lines of what you said where you're actually changing the club itself and the ball uh, sort of inadvertently moves uh, to position? What are we doing here with the ball, if anything, for a left to right and then, uh, you know, a right to left shot? What are we doing here? Well, we can do much the same uh, as I've described. If I do, in fact, move the balls further back in my stance, I would uh, encourage a, a path more from the inside. And if I kept the face square to the target and the path was more from the inside, we would curve the ball a bit to the left. 
And conversely, if I moved that ball a little bit further forward, and now I would be encouraging a little bit more of a left path or an out-to-end path, I should say, and that would encourage uh, if the face were square to the target and the path was uh, as a right-handed golfer to the left of the target, that ball would curve to the right. So we can change the ball position. There's any number of ways uh, curvature. You could simply set up square and, and close the face. You could open the face and set up square. Uh, and it's that relationship of the face to the path that's going to cause that curvature for you. So there's any number of ways to do it, but the ball position could encourage that. And I think it depends on the level uh, and quality of the player as well. Would you agree? I mean, obviously, some of the more uh, advanced players may want to actually um, move uh, the ball position a little bit because they're more confident in their swing, whereas maybe uh, an amateur uh, player that wants to get some results like that may just, again, as you mentioned in the latter part, is just close the face or open the face a little bit and not get so much into moving the ball position. Um, but just closing that face to to get uh, some of those results as well is that is that pretty accurate? You think? I would say so. Yes, and I I would go also uh, to something Clint said earlier on his iron play into the greens, and he said let's hit it in the middle of the greens. Let's also check our skill level of uh, should we be even trying to curve the ball. Uh, let's try to ad- establish a pattern of flight, and then let's play to that pattern. Uh, there's been many players who either just curved it to the right or just curved it to the left, and they're in the Hall of Fame. So if our skill set is such that we cannot change the curvature of the golf ball on demand, let's not try on the golf course. Let's simply play our shot, and we may have to choose a different target because of that pattern. But if we try to do something that we're not skilled to do, uh, that spells disaster and, and big numbers on the golf course. I, I really like that answer, you know, and and it, it's so true. You know, I, we all want to be able to hit those great shots. But again, as you pointed out, it really depends on your skill level. Um, now, you can certainly work on uh, improving that as we go along. But ultimately, if you're not a really confident player, somebody that's you know, consistently hitting good shots uh, and making solid contact, then you're going to run in a case where you, when you try to, you know, make some adjustments like we've talking about, uh, you're just going to end up in, in a lot of uh, difficult issues. Um, I'm, I'm just going to keep note here on, before I move on, uh, Clint just uh, popped off. I think his call got uh, dropped. So I'm just going to wait for him to come back in. But, you know, those are some great points that you, you raise um, about ball position because, you know, there's really a, a lot of ways of, of doing things and uh, adjustments that can be made. Um, one of the things that I always worry about, and I, I don't know if you feel the same way, Jim, or not, but one of the things that I worry about is, you know, it's challenging enough for, for many, uh, you know, high handicap and amateur golfers uh, to, under perfect conditions, to, you know, make good contact. Um, and now, you know, if you're introducing changes like we're talking about, and you're not quite there yet ready with your ability, uh, then you're just opening yourself up for for more disaster, right? Absolutely. I kind of use the idea that if I'm looking at a type of shot I want to play, I need to be able to say that 
more often than not, I can be successful with this decision. I can maybe, maybe there's a, out of 10 shots I could hit, seven of them pretty good from this choice. And if I can't say that I could have a good chance to hit seven out of 10 pretty good, well, then I probably need to make a different decision. Um, and I, I'll ask players often, how many times out of 10 do you think you'll hit a pretty good shot from here with what you're choosing? And they'll say, well, uh, three out of 10. So, so right. what you're telling me is you have a 70% chance of failure with that decision. Let's choose differently. Mm-hmm. Let's make a different right. choice. Uh, and and I use the the concept of three wood out of the fairway. People will want to use that three wood out of the fairway because they got a long way to go. Well, they could hit mm-hmm. a pair of nine irons that same distance, and they'll have yep. more success with those than that three wood. And that is what usually happens. How many times out of ten you can hit a good one with this three wood? Uh, one or two. Okay, that's eighty percent, ninety percent chance of failure. Let's hit something right. that has a better chance. And that's eighty, ninety percent chance it's going to be two shots to get to the green anyhow. So let's choose a a club that I can hit two good ones and get there. That's a lot more fun. Yeah, it, it always uh, amaz- amazes me when you talk to a, a player and they're telling you uh, in no uncertain terms that, you know, well less than 50% of the times so are they successful with that club or that particular shot they're trying to execute, but yet they're choosing to do that anyway. So, yeah, it's kind of uh, a little ironic, <laughs> you know, when you think about it. But, all right, I see Clint's back with us. So, Clint, we're going to move on. Here's yeah, one I've, I've, I've had a lot had a of. Thunder, yeah. had a little thunderclap there. Yeah, no problem. Um, we've, we've all been there. This particular yeah. question that I want to give, give you is, is something that a lot of people have asked, certainly me, and I'm sure you guys have had this question. And I just want to get your thoughts on And it's really eye contact. And what I'm talking about is obviously where should our eyes be focused when we're you know, getting ready to hit the shot. So I'll just give you a couple examples, and I just want to get your, your feedback here. So, you know, again, with some of our longer clubs like the driver or fairway wood or what have you, um, a lot of people have been told, uh, you know, that maybe they should be looking at the back of the ball when they're setting up. That's what they're, where their eyes should be focused on when they're getting ready to hit the shot. And conversely, with an iron shot, some have been told, I've heard, I've, I've seen in videos and, and uh, in instruction where some are being told, you know, maybe to focus more on the front of the ball uh, for most iron shots. Do you agree with that? Um, in part, not at all. What are your thoughts here as far as where should our eyes be looking at with the, some of the longer clubs? Uh, should it all be the same? What are your thoughts here? Well, you're going to love this, but I just want to look at what I'm intending to hit. I mean, I just want to see the ball. Okay. <laughs> I, <agree. laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't mean to be flippant here, but my goodness, no. I mean, we're, <laughs> um, you know, there, there's one exception. To, to that that rule that I want to be just looking at the ball is that I really want to look at what I intend to hit. And in the bunker play, we can get back to it, I really don't intend to hit the ball. I want to hit a spot behind the ball. So mm-hmm. I want to be looking at that spot. So in, right. in, in, in all honestly, I just want to look at what I intend to hit. Um, and, and that's just the simplest way you can put it, I guess. I mean, 
maybe some of this other is simply just giving your 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 mind something to think about while your brain's playing golf. I, I don't know. It may be, be some of that, and and I can't disagree with that because we all tend to think a little too much while we're out playing. So if they're, if they're using that in order to occupy uh, the mind a little bit, uh, so be it. But generally, from a, a physical swing standpoint. I just want to be able to see what I'm going to hit. That's all. That simple. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I threw that in there because I've seen over the years, and I know both of you have probably come across this as well. I've seen where, and again, I think it's more to provide a distraction uh, or something sure. simple to focus on. And, and certainly with iron shots, I can understand where they might do that because, again, we're coming, we're hitting down on the shot. We're uh, making contact with the ball first and then taking a divot. And a lot of times I think the approach that's being used is more often than not, if they're looking kind of at the, the back side of the ball for an iron shot, then really what they're doing is they're kind of looking behind the ball, I think is the idea. So they're trying to get them to look forward. And I, and I get that as long as it's for the purposes of a drill um, to, to get them sort of refocus sure. their efforts. But I think as a general rule, you're right. I mean, you know, you pointed out a great one is is the bunker shot. I mean, you're hitting behind the ball. So if you're focusing on the ball, well, you're going to hit the ball. And that's not what you want to do. You want to hit right. the sand. You want to go through the sand first and, and then come through. Um, so, you know, again, you want to focus on the target where you're hitting uh, or rather what you're hitting. Um, and I, I think, Jim, you probably agree with this as well, right, as I think that um, as far as our eye contact, you want to look at the ball. Front, back, it doesn't matter, yeah. but you're really looking at the ball, right? What are your thoughts? I, I agree 100% with Clint. Uh, I think uh, we when we start dissecting it the way you described, behind the ball, at the ball, front of the ball, uh, let's, let's think about what we're going to hit, and uh, let's keep it that simple. And I love what you said there, Clint, with the bunker. Let's look at where I want that club to enter the sand. Because uh, I'm not trying to hit the ball. I'm trying to enter the sand and go down under it. Um, so let's focus on what we're going to hit. And I think also that at a certain level of skill, the image of what we're doing, we're looking at what we're going to hit, but we're imagining where it's going. Uh, you know, we want to hit it at a target. Um, so mm -hmm. we're looking at the ball. The ball's not the target. The ball's being propelled to a target. Um, so we need to be thinking about, uh, and, and again, at a certain skill level, where is it going? Uh, much like if you're shooting a bow and arrow, you look at the target where you're going to shoot it. You don't look at the arrow. But in golf, we have to look at the ball and imagine it going to the target. But I like what you said, Clint, of just, hey, yes. let's look at what we're going to hit. <laughs> it's not yeah, that I hard. think there's a lot of... No, I think, as I was pointing out, I think there's a lot of well-intended information uh, out there. And, and again, I'm not knocking anybody that's using some of the things that we're talking about, but I think that it has to be put into perspective. I think if you're using it as a general rule, then you're potentially creating a scenario. Uh, I know I've heard some say, well, you know, by looking sort of in front of the ball and, again, talking for iron shots, well, that's going to move your, your sort of uh, your center, you know, even though you're physically not, mentally I think the approach is that that's going to move um, where your center of, of strike is going to be, so that way the ball is going to get in. But, uh, again, if they're not set up properly to begin with, it doesn't really matter where you're going to look. 
um, and it goes back to making sure that the, the fundamentals are sound and um, knowing where the bottom of the arc is going to be. And so, I, I mean, I, I appreciate where they're, where they're going with this, but I agree with you guys. I think, you know, let's look at the ball. Um, let's not look at the back, the front, when we're over the, the shot, because then you're only adding to potentially moving that, that center uh, spot, if you will, and, and likely going to hit uh, uh, or not hit the ball uh, with solid contact. So very, very interesting point. Jim, I'm going to come back to you on this one, which uh, we're going to talk a little bit about chipping here uh, for a moment or two. And uh, again, there's a variety of different techniques depending on the level of player. But generally, if we want to be an effective chipper, what are we looking to do here? What is it we want to do? How do we set up a little differently? Because obviously, in most cases, we're going to use irons here. Um, occasionally, we might use a different club. But what are we going to do if we want to make sure we're hitting some solid, crisp chip shots? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, we need to make sure we understand the definition of a chip shot. I hear chipping and pitching getting interchanged and, and confused, where a chip shot is one that is a fairly low shot. It will tend to roll further than it flies, and then a pitch would fly a little bit more, a little bit higher, and, and probably the ratio would either be fly as it rolls or fly a little further then it rolls. So in going with the chip shot, we're looking at a lower than normal shot. So we can do a number of things. We can take a fairly straight faced golf club. If we're going to chip it with maybe a nine iron or a wedge, we need to look at what's going to make that golf club make the ball go lower. And I talked about it earlier with the ball position, we could lean that handle slightly forward and then reposition our body so that that handle is pointed fairly in our center, and that would move the ball a little bit further back in our stance. And that would give us a little downward blow with a little less loft, and that would give us a, a fairly crisp shot and a low running type of shot. By having the ball slightly back in the stance, the bottom of the swing would happen after it got to the ball. And that, again, would help to encourage that ball to stay a little bit lower. And, and I think also, too, you know, as you, you touched on, depending on the club, I mean, there's a variety of different options. Some people like to just use sort of one club, and, and uh, but others like to change it up depending on where the, the pin is. Like, for instance, if the pin is on the far side of the green, um, they may want a more straight-faced, like a, a six or even a seven iron, um, if the club, if the pin is a little closer to them, you know, they may want to uh, have it so that it's, uh, it's not going that far and it's getting a little, using a little bit more loft. Is that a good idea to have multiple options like that? Or do you subscribe to those that, hey, let's just use one club and get familiar with that? What are your thoughts here? I think that's individual to the player. I happen to be a player that changes golf clubs a lot. Uh, but there are a lot of very, very successful short game players that uh, subscribe to one club and, and learn how to manipulate the trajectory with that. Uh, so I think it really depends on the player, which one in, is influenced by how they see shots and two, uh, how they feel shots and three, how they feel comfortable. 
it's a big, important thing to be comfortable around the green and know that I'm going to have a reasonable chance of success with it. So I think it's very player dependent on, on that choice. I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. I think, it, again, it depends on the player, what they're comfortable with, and what their skill level is as well. I mean, obviously, you know, we see the pros doing things differently, and, and uh, we see a lot of players trying to emulate that, and that's fine if your skill level um, not necessarily matches them but is a high enough level that you can afford to get away with it. But if you're not, um, then you need to go with what works best for you. Um, Clint, I, I save, as they say, the best to last. I know you know where I'm going with this. Uh, I know you love the putting sure. side of things. We're going to touch on that. Three things I want you to, to touch on. Uh, number one, okay. developing good tempo on the green, uh, the speed, and also reading the greens. Uh, a lot of people struggle even with that. W- what do we need to do here to get some good tempo and, and regulate our speed on the green? And what do we need to be looking at when we're trying to read the green? Okay. Uh, it, this is really paramount to, to a person's, uh, obviously, ability to score, for sure. We've talked about it for many years. One of the, the things that I, I think we we've, we've see and would encourage people to do is to understand that every day they go to the golf course, and it could very well be the same golf course, the speed of the greens will be different. Maybe they mowed the greens today, maybe they didn't, maybe they mowed them and they rolled them. A lot of variations and uh, things that, that will happen between days. So what I encourage people to do, as you well know, is that I like the idea of benchmark strokes. To, to, to be able to go out and take the putter to inside your, your tail, trail foot, to on the trail toe and outside, to determine what those strokes produce as far as distance that particular day. Flat spot on the putting green, make those strokes, step it off, and have some idea of what the pace is today. So that way when you go out on the golf course and you got a 20-footer, uh, maybe that, that putt's going to be to the trail foot toe. And that's what made it go 20 foot today. Um, and possibly you, you have a flat putt, but maybe it's a little downhill. So you can make those adjustments uh, based on the pace of the greens that day, then that helps you develop pace on the golf course as well. You have you have some data to work with. I see so many times people go out to before they play and they're putting three and four footers. And, and I have, have yet to have anybody tell me what they're accomplishing there other than just hitting a few putts today. Um, they're really not gaining any idea of what the pace of the greens are today. And that's why, I'd, again, come back to the idea Benchmark strokes, determine what they're going to do today. You have some data to work with now. If you can't remember, write it down on the scorecard. Outside my right foot for right-handed players, it went 25. It went, And then as you walk up onto the green from the fairway, step off your putt. Give yourself some ideas. It's always another thing that amazed me that they stand out there with a range finder from 150 yards, but if you ask them how far they are from the hole on the putting green, they don't have a clue. So those information that you can gather by those benchmark strokes on the putting green then gives you the data to go out on the course, gather the idea how far you're away on this particular putt, what's the circumstances, is it downhill, uphill, what is it, gives me some sense of feeling the pace of the putt, gives me data to work with in order to to work things down. One of the things I've always used for years is the idea of Goldilocks. You know, Goldilocks was a great decision maker because she tried all of her options before she chose. So I want a person to go on the green 
being able to figure out what's not right to determine what's in the middle of that, and then they can maybe have a better sense of pace. Try some options, but you've got to have some data to develop your options. As far as reading the greens is concerned, um, I just happened to be listening to Lee Trevino the other day, and he said, you know, most people make a mistake trying to read the green standing on it. It looks flat. Start reading the green as you walk up to it. You can definitely see the contour of the surface of the green and around the green as you're below it, not when you're standing way up above it. Um, that's one of the things that I encourage people to do in reading greens is never look at the putt from what you would consider above it. Always look at the putt from what you would consider the downhill side of the putt. You'll be able to see the slope better from there. If you look at it from the uphill side of the putt, it's always going to look flat. It, that's why you see a lot of people read putts simply from behind it will hit downhill putts much faster sometimes than they need to because they're not getting a true sense of the slope from above it. Always look at the putt from what you would consider the downhill side. There's all kind of ways of reading the greens. Now you see the guys with the aim points and the standing straddle of it. You know, if those things work for you, wonderful. Uh, you know, I'm more of the old school, you know, kind of intuition, you know, read the entire green complex. But I thought it was a great idea about uh, a way of putting it is that if you're looking at it from the standing on the green, you're not getting a real true perspective. So as you walk up to the green, you know, and many times a day, obviously, we're all riding. We pull our carts up to, you know, to the green. We walk out on the flat part. I've always tried to maybe get out of that cart before I get to the green and walk up to the green from in front of it. Mm -hmm. You know, that way I'm going to get a better picture of what the green really looks like as the architect built it from from coming from the fairway side up to the green. I'm going to get a much better look at the contour of that surface than I will from behind it or on from the side. So get out of the cart a little early and walk up to it. But if you do... From a, the Greens reading standpoint, I think the best advice I could give people is always look at it from what you consider the downhill side. If you go down there and it still looks flat, then I would indicate it's probably a pretty flat putt. Uh, we can get really in-depth on how accomplished players control the break. They control the break with speed. You know, I would encourage people to watch this weekend if they're watching the tournaments to see how fast the ball is going into the hole from three and four feet away. Mm -hmm. Those players are extremely confident that they're going to hit it where they've aimed it. And as long as they can hit it firm enough and it still go in, they're not going to play any break. There's no guesswork. They aim it in the top side of the of, or in the middle, and they put enough pace on the putt to make it go straight. Uh, and that's what I would encourage people to try to learn to do is gain enough confidence in the uh, three and four foot strokes that they're not having to read a lot of into those putts. I see a lot of people, as you both of you guys do, that try to read something into a four-foot putt that's not there, and they miss it on the high side. Mm -hmm. You know, and I tell people, you know, that, that there's the hole is four and a quarter inches wide. you got maybe three inches of break inside the hole. So if the putt's only going to break an inch, I don't need to aim it out of the hole of the inch aim it inside and let it break to the center. Um, but again, back to your first initial thing about pace, that's the most important thing they have to deal with. Uh, I always ask the students about 
whether they're going to try to determine how hard they hit it first or whether they're going to aim it first. And nine times out of ten, they say aim. But the speed of the putt is going to dictate your your aim line because you are in control of the break or, you, or you're not going to be in control. I prefer to teach my students to be in control of the amount of break they play. Uh, I consider the amount of break you play is a compromise for the lack of speed. That's all it is. I can make it go straight, but maybe it won't fall in, so then I have to compromise. After compromise, I can't hit it that hard, so therefore the ball is going to curve. And if they go into their putting um, time on the course with that in mind, well, do I have to play break? That's my first question. Do I have to play break? Then if I think I have to compromise, then, then I'm going to compromise for the lack of speed. But I always try to figure out how hard they're going to hit it with that pace. Again, we revolve back down to the fact that I go to that putting green first off and get a sense of pace for today. And, and to me, that's the most important thing for them to understand is what is the pace of the greens today versus yesterday and take that data to the course and to make sure that they can, you know, gather the pace and try to align accordingly for the speed of the greens that day. Well said, Clint. Um, you know, as I've been listening here tonight, you know, to the conversation, and I go back to really the, the original point um, was to talk about key factors that golfers need to achieve overall improvement. And we talked about a variety of different parts of the game from your tee shots to good iron play, ball position, and so forth. But the one thing I heard a lot uh, throughout both of you uh, in your conversation was, number one is assess the situation. You know, decide what it is that you need, you're trying to do, what's your target, um, you know, decide what, what you want to accomplish with this particular golf shot, and then set up accordingly. And I think a lot of people, and then obviously you want to play to your ability. Don't try to play something that you're not confident in. And, you know, as you both talked about, you know, if you're, if you're not able to execute that shot uh, but, but 30% of the time, then that's not the shot that you need to, to prepare yourself for. You need to get something that you're, you know, 70 to maybe 80% of the time you're going to be able to pull it off. So really, I think one of the main key factors that, golfers need is to become better stewards uh, of not just so much the physical parts of the game, but their preparation and their course management, deciding what's best for them, what's going to work best for them um, throughout the various aspects that we've talked about tonight. And I think that's really the main key um, that we need to focus on. Uh, I think too many players get out there and they're focusing, and certainly we want to become better strikers of the ball and we want to be able to get more distance and more accuracy. Um, and, and that can certainly come with, with working on the, the appropriate things. But at the end of the day, you can be, and we've seen this even at the highest level, you can be the best ball striker out there, but if you don't have the understanding of how to get it from point A to point B um, and how to get it in that hole, um, you know, and if possible, it doesn't matter, particularly somebody that can hit it well out in the range, but when you get out in the golf course, uh, you're not very successful. Uh, and we've seen that many, many times. So I, I think that's what I'm hearing. What, what do you guys think? Go ahead, Jim. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think one of the things that we see, and in, in, in you touched on it earlier, Clint, is, is people play by ego. They play by, I can hit this golf club this far, so that's <laughs> what I'm going to do. 
versus playing by strategy. And and strategy's gonna gonna win out more than ego. And and they have to also remember that when they're on the golf course, they're playing golf. They're not playing golf swing. And all too often right. we see people play golf swing and not golf. And and uh, they they need to play strategy. Golf is simply this: hit it a certain distance at a target. And, and it's very important to to understand when I say that certain distance. That's not maximum distance. You touched on it in putting, Clint. You got to hit it the right distance for the break to be effective. I got to hit it the right distance for that target to be the right target. So they have to make those decisions based on. Uh, on that criteria versus their ego. I couldn't agree Absolutely. more. If that was it, yeah, and one of the, yeah, one of the things we can add to the the pace and dist, certain distance is I would always ask if for a ten foot putt, what's the most important thing for you to do? You have to hit it ten feet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everybody's, you know, 98% that don't get to the hole don't go in. You know, you have to hit it a certain distance. That's a great way of looking at it, Jim. And it to me, that what I see a lot, people go out to try to improve. They see it as an activity. I want them to see it as action. I want them to take action on being able to do something better. Then the activity will be better, but the action that, that takes to improve their golf game is not an activity. It's it's something they have to focus on and take action to do it correctly. And that then when they go out for the activity of playing the game, they'll play the game better. There's no question about it. I love and what you said that, there, that, that when you're hitting a 10-foot putt, Clint, you said you had to hit a 10-foot putt 10 feet. And then you went on with uh, 98% that are short, don't go in. I love what Bob Jones said to that as well. He says, I haven't seen one that went past that went in either. Yeah, that's correct. (laughs) That's right. A miss miss is a miss. (laughs) Exactly. So we got a better chance if it's a 10-foot putt that I hit at 10 feet, it's got a better chance to go in that hole. (laughs) That's correct. You're absolutely correct. Wonderful. Well said, well said. Great discussion tonight, guys, and I think you hit on some great points. And, um, you know, it, it boils down to really learning how to play this game, as Clint, you have talked about many times as well. And I think if people focus more on the play, um, the other sort of falls in. And obviously there's things that you have to work on, and there's drills that can be given to, to help uh, isolate some uh, problem areas and, and help refocus in other areas. But ultimately, you're out there to play a game and enjoy it and have fun. And if you're constantly working on technique and so forth, you're not really enjoying the game and you're not really playing the game. And that's really what it's all about. Guys, as always, I want to thank you for joining me tonight. And I gave each of you a moment. Uh, Jim, you can go first. Then, Clint, the best way if folks want to reach out and connect with you, uh, website, email, whatever you want to do, go ahead. Yes, uh, again, thank you so much for having me on, Ted. And, Clint, it was great to be with you here. Um, if you want to reach me, it's uh, Jim at IndicottGolf.com. And then my website is RoyalStCloudAcademy.com. And uh, we're here just outside of Orlando and love to help people play better golf. Sounds great. Clint, go ahead. Uh, 
Ted, I think everybody knows how to get a hold of me, but it's uh, ClintGoff001 at Yahoo.com. And just on your case, I'll take very quickly, I got an email uh, from a gentleman that was, his parents were a member at the club I was at in Wisconsin in 1977, 78, 79, says, I heard you on the show. So I just want to let you know, he wanted to know if I was the same Clint Wright that was in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think so. And uh, just for your case, there's people out there listening that just connecting the dots sometimes, Ted. And I do appreciate you having me on as much as you, you have to put up with me sometimes, okay? Always a pleasure. I enjoy it, and it's always nice to hear to get some good feedback. Glad you got it. Guys, thank you very much, and until the next time, uh, appreciate it. Have a great weekend, and stay safe, and we'll see you next time here on the Coach's Corner panel on Golf Talk Live. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. All right, as we get ready for our special guest, uh, Dave Bisbee, let me just uh, uh, remind everybody, of course, we are live here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Um, While we wait, uh, here's a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, and again, don't forget to go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe. Uh, Some great options there if you're uh, someone that likes to have uh, a copy of the magazine in your hot little hands, you can uh, subscribe to the print version. Uh, it's also available in digital version, uh, or you can get both, uh, whatever is to your liking. Some people like to have the uh, hard copy at home and uh, like to have access to the digital copy when they're on the road so they can get some uh, great tips. And we're just getting ready, actually, to uh, compile everything for our next uh, issue, which is the uh, July-August issue coming up here. Uh, in a, a month or so's time, we're just getting the, the components put together uh, here over the next couple of weeks, so we'll be coming out. But uh, the May-June issue is obviously available at newsstands, uh, at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million, and, and basically anywhere uh, that books are sold, so you want to check that out as well. Uh, but go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. Uh, as I wait for uh, my guest, Dave, to uh, come on, again, let me just remind everybody, um, that we are live uh, Thursday evenings here on the blogtalkradio.com network. But for some reason, if you're not able to join us live uh, for the entire show or maybe you've missed part of it uh, and you want to catch it when it's convenient for you, the best way to do that is to go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash live, and you can scroll down to the on-demand section and all of these shows in their entirety, including tonight's, will be there uh, after this evening's broadcast uh, in, in order of uh, the most recent uh, which, will, of course, will be tonight. And you can scroll down and listen to all of the previously aired shows in their entirety uh, when it's convenient for you. So make sure you do that. And don't forget to also follow uh, and listen to my other show on Tuesday mornings with my good friend and co-host LPJ professional Cindy Miller uh, as we deal with some of the women of golf. Uh, uh, again, the show is uh, called Women of Golf. And uh, we interview a lot of the young ladies from uh, both the Epson Tour and also the LPJ as well as many other uh, men and women 
working to help elevate uh, women in the golf business. So um, always uh, excited to do that. That's Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the same network, blogtalkradio.com slash womenofgolf. And again, uh, it also has an on-demand section. So if you're not able to tune in live Tuesday mornings, uh, you can go to that link, blogtalkradio.com slash womenofgolf, and you can go down to the on-demand section and listen to the previously aired shows. Um, but um, let me just uh, read out uh, a little bit about Dave, and uh, as soon as he pops on, I will uh, bring him on live. Um, Dave, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the show, is the GM and Director of Golf at Seven Canyons Golf Club in Sedona, Arizona. Uh, with more than 40 years of experience, uh, Dave is renowned for his easygoing style and innovative methods, uh, helping thousands of golfers gain greater satisfaction through improved performance. Known by his peers as a teacher of teachers, uh, he has pioneered a system linking mind, body, and golf. Uh, he's also authored several books, including the best-selling Back on Course, uh, Drive Business Performance Through Golf, uh, Teaching Business Professionals to Leverage the Game to a Business Advantage. Um, so very well seasoned in the game. And as I mentioned, as soon as he uh, comes on here, we will um, bring him on live. Um, also, I just want to uh, put out there for those of you um, that uh, are listening to the show. Maybe you have uh, somebody that you know that's in the golf business that you'd like to hear on the show. Uh, I don't just interview uh, teacher professionals, but also players uh, or those in the golf business side of things as well. Maybe they've written a great uh, golf book uh, or they have a great product that's, uh, uh, that they're uh, either launching or has been out in the market for a little while that they uh, you think that might be a, a good uh, topic to discuss on here, talking about some of the ways that they're able to help uh, golfers improve their game. I'm always willing to do that and have them on, so you can certainly uh, get them to reach out to me, and the best way to do that is to uh, have them send uh, their information to me by email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. That's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com, and um, I'll be more than happy to... Uh, you know, set something up to um, have them on the show as a special guest. Um, so just, again, have them email me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com, and I'll be more than happy to uh, work something out and get them into the schedule. Works as well, <clears throat> excuse me, for the women of golf as well. If you've got uh, uh, somebody that uh, is in the golf business that particularly is focusing on uh, the ladies' side of things, I have that show that's been now in its 10th season um, and always looking to uh, uh, speak with not just the players but also uh, coaches and teach professionals as well as uh, industry types that are looking to elevate women's golf and or maybe uh, share their story, how they got into the game, uh, always looking to do that. So, again, you can have them reach out to ted.golftalklive, um, uh, ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. So make sure you do that. Um, as I said, I'm just going to uh, wait here for another moment or two. Dave should be along. He may be just running um, a little bit um, late here. I'm just actually sending him a quick note, and uh, hopefully he will uh, uh, be ready. Um, I know he's in a, a slightly different time zone, so I want to make sure that he uh, has that information before we, uh, we continue on. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, about, um, I'm going to go back just a second about golf tips. 
is that uh, there's also some great videos uh, that are on the YouTube channel. That's Golf Tips Mag. You can search that out uh, on the YouTube channel as well. And also we're on social media, uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram and so forth. So you can check things out there as well. Um, and all of the guys and gals that come on the show over the years, a lot of great professionals. I always like to give them uh, a chance to sort of spotlight and showcase um, excuse me, what it is that they do and, and what they're uh, doing specifically to help uh, grow the game. And uh, I'd like to give them an opportunity to share uh, ways of contacting them as well. <clears throat> excuse me, and I've had a number of, uh, as Clint pointed out tonight, a number of uh, the pros that have been on and guests uh, who have had uh, some of the listeners reach out to them uh, for one reason or another. And, and uh, it's always nice to get that feedback. So uh, if there's uh, something, a topic that maybe, uh, especially in Coach's Corner, I'm always interested in, in having some new topics. If there's parts of the game or there's things about the game that you'd like to uh, talk about, and, and it's particularly in ways of improving uh, your game, uh, we're happy to have that discussion on Coach's Corner. So just shoot me uh, an email. You're welcome to email me as well at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com, and we'll see what we can do about putting some uh, uh, topics together that uh, will certainly uh, be able to help you uh, become a better player because that's really what we're all about. So um, hopefully Dave will be <laughs> coming on shortly. Uh, I hope he's not uh, running into any issues, but um, I just sent him a quick uh, note and uh, we'll see what uh, what happens here. Hopefully he'll be coming along uh, momentarily. Um, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do uh, with these shows uh, and again with with coach's corner primarily is to have uh, discussions again specifically on game improvement and not really getting into sort of the the weeds if you will of uh, what's going on necessarily on the tours uh, certainly occasionally I'll make reference that um, but the truth of the matter is and, and I, I always welcome and enjoy uh, um, having some of the tour players that I've had over the years but I try to really stay out of some of the, the uh, topics that are going on the tour, whether it's controversial or not, uh, mainly because really the show is about you guys out there uh, and gals uh, that want to improve your game. Uh, it's very intimidating when you see uh, the players on TV, it just the level of game that they uh, bring and uh, to try to relate. You know, I often have had conversations with, uh, some younger folks who say to me, well, you know, I don't know if golf is for me. I see what's what's on TV, and, you know, these these folks are really good, and I, I just, you know, I've never hit a golf ball. But what they don't understand is there's so much more to this uh, game than just what we see on television. So um, what I like to do is uh, try to create a program and a format that is going to help um, – the listeners improve their game. Um, whether you're out uh, once in a while or whether you're a weekend warrior, as they say, and you're playing regular golf uh, and, and whatever age as well. You know, I get a lot of, um, you know, uh, older folks too that uh, maybe have not uh, played in a long time or, um, you know, maybe haven't taken up the game before. And, and for one reason or another, whether their spouse or some friends have encourage them to do that. This is a great platform for you to tune into because we really get into some of the general conversations. Uh, occasionally we'll get into a little bit more detail, but I try not to make it too complicated uh, for, for most folks out there because that's been one of the issues that I've heard uh, over the years um, with golf instruction is that it's gotten very complicated. And, 
and a lot of analysis and a lot of areas that uh, people play uh, and hear uh, in, in golf instruction, and it just uh, kind of goes over the head. You've probably heard me talk a little bit uh, over the years and with, with the panelists, particularly on, on Coach's Corner, and we've talked about things like um, you know, some of the technology. Uh, I think it's great. Don't get me wrong. I use some of the technology as well, uh, as many of the other pros do, but I try to use it as an enhancement to provide me with information and feedback that I can then give my, uh, you know, my students. I don't like to overwhelm them with all the, the nuts and bolts of how it works and why it does this and why it does that because it really doesn't matter. All they want to know is how can I improve my game and if I can use that technology to give me the answers that I'm looking for a little bit easier, then it makes me as uh, an instructor somebody that's able to articulate that a little bit better. I don't need to bore them with all the details. I don't need to have them you know, hooked up to machines all the time. It's just a way of enhancing certain aspects of their game uh, and being able to, um, uh, you know, to do that uh, through technology. But um, I, unfortunately, um, there have been a lot in the industry that rely very heavily on the technology, and uh, it may work for them. But the truth of the matter is, I think a lot of times um, the student kind of feels like they're not really, um, you know, being focused on that. There's more involvement with the technology, and some that's fine for for some. Some enjoy that, uh, uh, don't really need a lot of interaction, and just really want to get that right down to the numbers. Uh, but most people really want to have that interaction with their instructor or coach, and want to have uh, specific uh, dialogue. And if you're somebody that's using heavily in technology, and I'm not talking about video. I mean, video is great. It's great to be able to show the person uh, some of the areas that they need to improve on. Uh, but if you're focusedly, you know, if you're if your head and eyes are constantly focused into a monitor and you're not really paying attention to the student, then in my opinion, you're doing them a disservice. So I try to avoid uh, a little bit of that here on the show. We'll certainly talk about it and some of the benefits, but we try to get uh, stay or clear of that just because I think, you know, the folks want to be able to um, just be able to have uh, a great uh, discussion with their with their pro and uh, and really focus on some key areas that's going to help them uh, along the way. I'm going to give uh, uh, Dave here a few more minutes. I, I'm not sure, but he may have um, run into some issues. I've sent him a, a quick email, but uh, haven't had a response yet. So we'll give him a few more minutes, and uh, and if not, we'll be wrapping up early uh, this evening. But um, but uh, so again, just a, a very quick recap. Um, if you are somebody in the golf business or you know somebody that's in the golf business at whatever level, um, I'm certainly uh, willing to entertain them on the show. So uh, please encourage them to reach out directly. Uh, they can do that at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, and or if you're somebody that um, wants to uh, improve your game and maybe there's an area uh, of the game that you're really struggling with or a topic that you want us to cover on Coach's Corner segment, um, by all means, you're also welcome to reach out. And again, it's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And um, I, again, uh, just to remind everybody, for those of you tuning in uh, live tonight, um, our broadcast is live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And the link is blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive. And uh, if you're listening live, it's front and center. If you're 
uh, tuning at a later point, uh, if you scroll down the page to the on-demand section, all of the previously aired shows will be there in their entirety. Uh, so you can check them out there. Um, I'm not sure, but I kind of suspect that uh, Dave may have run into an issue uh, with timing here. And um, uh, I'm going to give him just a couple more minutes, and then I'll uh, end the broadcast uh, early. And I apologize uh, uh, for that, but uh, these things sometimes happen. and um, We'll just see what what goes on, but um, but um, anyways, um, I think what I'm going to do is um, we'll we'll cut a little short tonight. I apologize again. I will endeavor to get Dave uh, to come back on the show. I, I suspect that there has been uh, maybe some confusion with the the time difference. Uh, he's in the uh, out in the Arizona area, and uh, perhaps he's misunderstood the time or what have you, but. Uh, Anyways, I will endeavor to to get uh, him on at a later point throughout the season uh, when his schedule permits. On that note, I want a special thanks again to Clint Wright and Jim Endicott for joining me uh, earlier on the Coach's Corner panel. Great discussion, guys, and uh, really enjoy uh, that uh, part of the show and uh, always enjoy my uh, special guests as well. Uh, Unfortunately, tonight it looks like uh, uh, Dave may not make it or is running some some difficulties, but uh, I'll endeavor to, uh, to get him rescheduled. On that note, I appreciate you tuning in. And again, my apologies for uh, having to cut it short tonight, uh, but we'll, we'll figure something out. But uh, anyways, thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. God bless, and we'll see you next time on Golf Talk Live. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest, Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.